Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I argue over horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never learn anything, but hopefully you have a good time listening. So today we are kicking off our theme, which you have all voted on on Patreon. Out of our options, you chose the Ghosts of J-Horror. So we're going to be starting that off. Uh, a topic we're very excited to talk about this month, you know, uh, especially like, like, you know, one of the reasons I put that on there, not to veer off for a second, but one of the reasons that's on there is, you know, we've seen this rise in Asian hate crimes and a lot of hate towards the Asian community. And so, you know, we wanted to include this option and just like have a chance to potentially just spotlight Asian horror and talk about it and why it's great, why we should appreciate, you know, the Asian community and all that kind of stuff. So, so we really wanted to talk about it and uh, that's also the theme we have going on all month on KillerHorrorCritic.com is we're we're trying to highlight, you know, Asian horror, not just J-horror, but Asian horror all around. And um, anyway, yeah, so that's why we're doing it. <laughs> You're also going to notice I'm very tired today. So, <laughs> so if I don't make any sense, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is going to be a fun show. <laughs> it's going to be a fun one. Um, so look, so we're going to be talking about Juwan the Garage, the, the original film that came out in 2002, uh, written and directed by Takashi Shimizu. Uh, we're not talking about the, the 2004 American remake <laughs> or the 2019 American, or what was it, 2020 American remake, yeah. <laughs> or the Netflix show that was kind of a remake, <laughs> reboot. Uh, it's been a story that's been, gone, been done quite a bit, but that is because The Grudge is such an interesting tale. So... We are going to be spoiling this film for you, so if you haven't seen it, it is streaming on Prime in the U.S., so highly recommend checking it out there. Otherwise, we have a little bit of spoiler-free content before we do get into spoilers. As usual, just want to start off with releases this week. A few pretty big ones, actually. Uh, one being one that you've probably maybe already watched by this point, which is Godzilla vs. Khan, which, <laughs> which is now in theaters and on HBO Max. Uh I, also I just, the reason why we're both very tired today. And, and the reason why we're a little tired, we may or may not have stayed up watching the giant lizard versus the giant monkey movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, this is now on an HBO Max. I, I posted a review today. You can find that on KillerHorrorCritic.com from yours truly. Chris, what did you think of Godzilla vs. Khan? I fucking loved it. I, it's just... Look, I'm always down for a good kaiju movie, but I feel like with this one, they kind of figured out how to do a good balance of the humany womany parts and the monster fights, which has been like, for me, the weaker part of all of our like earlier Godzilla movies. It's just like too much human parts I don't care about and not enough good monster fights. <laughs> you're, you're literally the only person that I've heard say that the human part was good. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's good. I'm saying that it's better than the ones that came before. 
again, you're the only person I've even heard try to compliment the human element to the movies. <laughs> Look, one of my favorite Japanese actors is in this movie, and I will defend him even yeah, if he only it, has four lines. Yeah, he's barely even it. He's barely even a character. In this I movie. know it bums me out so, so much. So, like, my my thing with Godzilla vs. Khan is it is it pretty? Yes, is, is the action epic and as it should be? Yes, yep. Godzilla and Khan are both. A blast to watch. Uh, I love the visuals. There's some really cool monster stuff in it. Uh, one of my favorite things is that Adam Wiener brings a little bit of his uh, horror sensibilities to the film. You know, it's not a scary movie, but no. and it's not trying to be, but but it, he did bring some of those elements to it. Like there are some monster fights where, you know, some pretty gruesome thing things actually happen to monsters. We got monster blood. <laughs> Uh, there's one sequence that very much reminded me of like 2001 Space Odyssey when they're like traveling through time yes. and it's super intense and weird, right? So, so Wiener brings some of that that was great, and, and so like all around the movie is exactly what you probably expect and hope from it, which is a fun, epic, giant yeah. monster movie, right? My issue with it is I actually think it's the worst of the four what? in terms of the human element. Oh, <laughs> I highly disagree. Um, well, look, it's because I think the characters are just given nothing to do. Like that, I'm okay that actual... with that. <laughs> no, but but the but the point is is like the characters should always have something going on. We should have some reason we care about them. And to me, all the character stories in this are just very meandering. There's not really a lot for these people to do. I didn't really give a shit about anyone. Like at any <laughs> at any point during the movie, anyone could have been stomped by Godzilla or Khan, and I don't think I would have cared in the least. So <laughs> it's just look, just the more I've thought about it, the more that element really bugs me. And I put a finger on as to why that is today as I was thinking about it. So just I know that this episode's <laughs> not about Godzilla versus Khan. But <laughs> ties into Asian Japanese horror. Sure, even though this is an American film. That's um, true. But <laughs> I just want to make that clear. Yep. But look, I, I think the issue is that that I'm personally feeling or seeing with the giant monster movies of today versus the ones of old. Because the argument always comes up of like, well, we never watched the, the old kaiju movies for the characters. It was never about them. And that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is that in the original films, you do have people in suits playing the monsters. You do have model cities that are actually real and they're being crushed. And and all of it, even though like that stuff is fake and it's obviously fake, all of it brings a kind of sense of reality to the movie. Yeah. So that when we are traveling with the human characters, there is still a sense of danger and you know like like the the reality isn't broken in the movie you know Mm -hmm. it doesn't it feels like the same universe and i think the problem that i personally am running into with some of these films right now Mm -hmm. is that you know the spectacle has become just that it's you know it's two fake cgi bees fighting in a completely synthetic city and i was i would explain it to a one of our writers today, uh, Justin. Hope you don't mind me m- mention you, Justin. Uh, but he, <laughs> but but I was I was trying to explain it as like I, it reminds me of the scene in The Fly with Jeff Goldblum where he cooks a couple steaks for Gina Davis and he runs one through the the time machine and then the other one is or, or through the teleporter and then the other one he just cooks up on the oven and and, and anyway. He gives them both to her. She eats the normal steak, and she's like, ah, it's fine. It could use a little seasoning, but yeah, it's a steak. Mm-hmm. And then he gives her the other one. Looks exactly the same. Cooked exactly the same way. Prepared the same way. Just been through a teleporter. 
and she bites it and she goes, "Ooh, ooh, ooh, I don't know. Oh, no, something something seems off. It, it's 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 like synthetic or something, you know? She can't put a finger on what's wrong with it, but subconsciously and and taste-wise she knows that there's something missing, right? Mm-hmm. She knows there's something fake about it. And yeah. and I think I think that's what I'm running into with these is like you know, the spectacle's great, but it puts an even bigger emphasis, I think, on the human stories and their importance in kind of keeping us grounded and feeling like this movie's real, you know? Okay, I can understand so, that. I mean, I'm with you. I miss dudes in suits punching other dudes in suits. Well, no, that's, yeah. that was also just always part of the charm for yeah. me with those, you know? Is they're just like, it's fun to watch people in suits <laughs> beat each other up in fake cities, you know? It's it's hilarious. I, <laughs> I think my only actual complaint about Godzilla versus Kong is the fact that neither of them shoves a tree down the other one's throat. That was my favorite thing about the original Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, well, you missed the homage to that then, where they do shove something down Godzilla's throat. But I'm it's not going to mention a, it here because we're not trying to spoil it. Not so. a tree. <laughs> Whatever. They're not going to do the exact same thing. Anyway, so look, obviously mixed on Godzilla versus <laughs> Kong. Chris is saying she loved it, even though the human element sucks. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll fight you. But... Uh, but I thought it was fine. You know, I, I've gone from like, yeah, I really liked it to it's fine. And that's probably where I'm going to stay at. It's just a very like meh kaiju movie. <laughs> I love and all kaiju movies. So. I, I do too. But I'm saying, <laughs> look, if I got a choice between which kaiju movie I'm watching, I'm watching any one of the other. Well, okay. Maybe not the original Godzilla, but I'm watching, I'm watching King of the Monsters and Skull Island before I watch Khan versus Godzilla. How about that? <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, King of the Monsters does have the beautiful Queen Mothra, so. Exactly. And Ghidorah. So, anyway. <laughs> so, that's Godzilla vs. Khan. <laughs> you can go check out my review on KillHorkers.com if you would like, and if I have not already pissed you off with my opinions on it. Next up is a film called The Unholy, which is coming to theaters on Friday by the time you're listening to this. Uh, this one stars Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who was in another kind of possession movie. Possession. And, and this one basically sees this girl who claims to have been visited by the mother mary and now she has like supernatural healing powers but oh my gosh is it not really the mother mary is something else sinister possessing her my oh, guess is, my guess is probably yes because it's a horror movie <laughs> but this one this one does look terrifying it looks pretty great so i have not seen it myself yet uh but that is coming to theaters on friday we also do not yet have a review for that sad face unfortunately <laughs> And then lastly is a film called The Oak Room, which this will be out on VOD on Friday. Again, by the time you're listening to this, uh, this was reviewed by our assistant editor, Caitlin Nelson, who you can follow on Twitter at 24th underscore doctor. That's 24th underscore doctor. You can also find her review on killerhorrorquake.com. But this was a film that I think we both caught during Fantasia in 2020, I want to say. But it's a really great kind of more like intimate thriller. So if you're into those kind of twisty bad times the el royale you know kind of movies uh with just like these really like storytelling driven movies you know this one's about this drifter who shows up at a bar in the middle of a winter storm and it starts trying to pay for his drink by telling a tale you know and one thing leads to another and you know it ends it's it's hard to talk about without spoiling but basically it's just a very twisty movie about crime and uh, murder and stuff like that that's awesome. all connected to this bar so uh so really cool movie we both really dug it so definitely recommend checking out caitlin's review if you can and then the movie when it releases friday uh, those are our releases for the week so as for juan the grudge itself you know this is a film that is you know a lot of people actually don't know this it's it's actually the third in a series of movies <laughs> what 
technically he made a film called uh, Juan the Curse in 2000 and Juan the Curse Part 2. And these are both like shorter movies and they kind of involve storylines that play into this movie. So yeah, this is technically the third, although it, you know we often consider it the first because it was the one that was remade for America. And so mm. that's just kind of where we pick up with the stories. <laughs> Fair enough. So it came out in 2002 and it's basically... It's almost kind of like a horror anthology in a sense where it's about this house where this woman and her son were murdered and now their ghost having died in a state of anger and vengeance. There's now a curse that is born and everybody who enters this house leaves and does not live for very long after that. <laughs> they are doomed. Yeah, once, once you enter this house, the curse latches onto you and you're basically fucked. So. Yep. <laughs> So we always like to do a poll on Twitter on at Killer. I keep saying at Killer from Space. Our new handle actually is Killer Critics. Killer Critics on Twitter. <laughs> remember that. I need to remember that. Um, <laughs> but uh, but every week we put up a poll on Twitter at Killer Critics, uh, just kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film and what you think of it overall. And so between love it, it's fine, don't like it, never seen it, where do you think Juan the Grudge falls? Um, it's one of those ones that I feel like it falls in love it. It's one of those like classic Japanese horror that everybody talks about. If you watch Japanese horror, you've seen it. So I feel like it has to be up there. Oh, well, you'd be surprised. So love it on this one actually got 38.5%. Uh, it's fine. Got forty eight point one percent, so that's the one that took it. Uh, don't like it was three point eight percent, and never seen it was nine point six percent. So, you know, personally, that doesn't shock me. There are a lot of people that love this movie. I'm one of them, but <laughs> I am not. <laughs> but uh, and, and there's a lot of people like you, and I yep. think it's because you know, Juan the Grudge is a very uh, confusing yep. is maybe a nice way to put it <laughs> film. You know, it's a very fractured movie, which. Uh, I do have some thoughts on that we're going to get into in a bit once I can spoil things, but but it's a hard film to follow. It's not an exciting movie, quote-unquote. You know, it's a very creepy film. Yeah. Deals with subjects that not everybody's comfortable with, you know? So, I mean, not that you should be comfortable with murder and, you know, abuse, but... <laughs> But as in, like, you know, those topics are very off-putting for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I get it. Like, when it, when it comes to, you know, the bigger Japanese horror films, I do see why The Grudge isn't typically considered number one. And it's usually kind of behind movies like Renu or something like that. Yeah. Um, because it is a really well-made movie, but it's one that I'm not sure connects to audiences as well as some of the others. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> agree with that. Like... I I like The Grudge. For me, I saw the, the remake, the American remake, in the early 2000s before I saw the original Japanese one. And, like, Grudge is one of those movies where, like, I get why people like it. I, I get it. But the first time I watched it, I remember watching it being like, I have no clue what the fuck happened. Did I fall asleep? What is going on? It, it's a movie that feels very much like a dream or mm -hmm. a nightmare after you yeah. watch it, right? Like... <laughs> Uh, but anyway, we do have some comments uh, from our followers on Twitter. So uh, first up is at Jonathan. So that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A. -A, and that's Jonathan 80958138. Uh, what's up, Jonathan? And they say the original Japanese version of The Grudge is absolutely the most terrifying haunted house film ever made. <laughs> Uh, Take that, Chris, who says it's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's one of those ones of, like, I respect your opinion. I don't completely agree with you on it. But what I will concede to is the sound that Kayako makes. That, like, 
sound. I That's the best Kayako you can do? Look, I'm not That's the good. best Kayako you can do. I'm, uh, I'm going to try to do it later, but like... Uh, I'm, I'm Kayako. I'm not I'm good at it. Impl- no, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I used to be able to do it better, but you know, I'm feeling a little... I don't know. Embarrassed uh, you're feeling, for trying. You're feeling very aww, I think. Fuck is you. <laughs> I'm going to try to do it later, but Matt's going to laugh at me, and I'm never going to be able to do it. Anywho. Yeah, probably. Um, so I do think that that sticks with you, and that's very haunting. Her sound gets in your head, and it honestly made me, even though it was the American remake that I saw first, like that sound that she makes definitely creeps you out. And so I'll give it to you that like that's really creepy. Well, well look, I mean, the, the visuals and the sound effects are both terrifying mm-hmm. absolutely terrifying you know like the, the sound effect which i will do in a bit because <laughs> i'm still laughing about <laughs> uh, i'm not i'm sorry that that's gonna be my thing this episode i apologize to everybody that i'm just gonna keep doing that um but but no that that sound is terrifying you know it's one of those things like you can just see a picture of the grudge and hear that sound in your head but also the actress who plays kayako takako fuji is just you know she she really brings i I don't know if she actually was a professional contortionist or not, but she mm-hmm. certainly brings that to the character. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, I've heard, you know, a lot of people describe it as, like, kind of being, like, um, like sort of a spider-like yes. kind of performance. And that makes sense, you know, with this like, with this concept of they're kind of being, like, you know, once you come in this house, it's like walking through a spider's web, and then you're just caught and kind of you're screwed, trapped. right? So, <laughs> so I, I really like that concept of kind of looking at the characters being very spider-like, you know? Mm-hmm. But but she does. She brings a great performance to it. She, she has a lot of creepy movements that really stick with you. Uh, the way that she's portrayed with just, you know, her, her big unblinking eyeballs and blood mm-hmm. all over her face. Like, it's really fucking creepy shit, right? So, yeah. <laughs> but no, so I, well, I don't, well, I also don't agree with Jonathan. There, there's other, you know, haunted house films that I do really like. I do think that The Grudge can certainly make a case for being one of the best, in my yes. opinion. I, I do think it's definitely up there in the top ten, at least. But um, but anyway, thank you, Jonathan, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Next is one from at Dardar Finch. Uh, this is Darwin. What's up, Darwin? And they say, I think I didn't like it as much when it first came out because it was popular and I was a cynical teenager. We've all been <laughs> there. We've all been there, Darwin. <laughs> um, and, and they go on to say that... And I was a cynical teenager that thought the noises the ghost made were dumb. Rewatched recently with a more open mind, and it's very scary. The stories come together at the end in brilliant fashion. Yeah, I mean, look, I think any movies that we watch as teenagers that we judge harshly, we do have to come back to because there's so much stuff that in my teens and early 20s that I was just like, oh, I don't like this because it's mainstream or because I didn't feel like I could like it that like I've gone back and rewatched and now I love oh but yeah that that sound still haunts my dreams (laughs) yeah no I'm the same way I I I think I think Darwin actually got mentioned uh on a recent one too with Jennifer or Tragedy Girls I think about this but but no I'm with that I I always say like if you haven't seen a film in 10 years or something and you don't remember loving it the first time, go back and rewatch it. You know, if it's something that people are telling you to give another shot, give another shot. Like, you really just genuinely never know how much differently you're going to look at these things later on in life. But uh, anyway, no, I, I agree. I think the ending is brilliant. Um, and yeah, we've all been there as that cynical teenager <laughs> judging these things way too harshly. So, <laughs> you know, and I think once you get to be an adult, you're just like, you know what? Just like entertain me for a bit yeah. and, and make me happy. And, and like you stop... 
you start being less kind of judgy, I guess you could say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this is coming from someone who judges movies for a living. Like, it's, oh. you, re- you really do just kind of learn to just, like, be more forgiving for things as long as the film is doing other things well, right? Exactly. So, uh, anyway, uh, thank you, Darwin, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, next up is at shutterpoint3, so that's S-H-U-T-T-E-R point and then the number three. Was able to see this in theaters before the slightly inferior remake came out. Pacing and acting were much better in Juwan. There were a couple of scenes I really liked that didn't appear in the remake. I, for me, I saw the remake first because I saw that in high school and then my friend in college who was really into horror, she's the one who introduced me to J-horror because I was watching Japanese dramas at the time. And yeah, I will say, the obviously the original is the superior film. It's so much better than the American remake was because that was... They always are. <laughs> that was a shit show. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, the American remake's not great. I mean, look, I think it does some things really well. Yeah. I, I do think that it maintains the kind of... Uh, Creepy atmosphere, but in a more Americanized way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still creepy. It's just more American yes. <laughs> is a way to put it. And and I will just say that Japanese cinema, when it's creepy, is 99% of the time going to be creepier than creepy American cinema, if that makes sense. You know, yes. it's just... <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, thank you, Shutterpoint, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Lastly, we have a comment from M. Sawzall. So that's M-S-A-W-Z-A-L-L. And this is Doug. What's up, Doug? And they say, way better than the American remake. The remake just seems too studio-polished. Agreed. Yeah, so this is always the problem (laughs) that I have with uh, American remakes on any foreign film is that, you know, typically... It's funny, like, most films that become popular, they're, in the horror genre, they're typically coming from, like, a low-budget original, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean like one of the most successful ones of all time is Halloween. That would have been technically an indie film at the time it released. You know, it's only in theaters cuz it's all we had at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it but these days it would be like a VOD movie, right? Th- yeah. Based on how based on its budget and how it was released. So, um, but a lot of these movies they do come from an indie place like that and and you know, once once a big American studio comes in and gives it the remake treatment, it's going to lose a lot of that kind of indie quality, right? You know, it, it, it does get polished up. Things get, you know, shinier and prettier. And and, and that's kind of, you know, that's all counterintuitive to Juwan because Juwan's really, you know, what's so effective about this original film is that it is kind of, you know, indie and gritty and not pretty, you know, <laughs> and just like it, it, there's just something very... It's not a sleazy movie in any sense, but there's something that feels sleazy about it, right? It's disjointed. Right. So, so, so no, I totally get that. I, I completely agree. The American remake, way too polished. I do think that this more recent one, even though I didn't like it, did do a better job of not feeling as polished. You know, mm-hmm. it kind of tried to greasy things up a bit. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so thank you, uh, Doug, for the comment. We appreciate it. Uh, so lastly, we were just like really... Really quick, do a tagline versus the film with these movies where we talk about the tagline and what we think of the film overall. So with uh, Juwan, the the best translated tagline I could find was, When a grudge from the dead passes to the living, who is safe? The answer is no one. No one. No one is safe. No one is safe. (laughs) I don't know. It's a fun tagline. It works. I think it works. Uh, yeah, I've already already mentioned, I think The Grudge is a solid film. I get why people like it. It's not my personal jam. I like other J-horror a little bit better. But 
you know, Kayako is super creepy, and everyone should absolutely watch Sadako versus Kayako. Indeed, it makes me it's, happy. A fun, it's a fun movie. I yep. think you can find it on Shutter. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's uh, the tagline's fine. You know, it says it, it says what it has to. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not too particular about this one, but, but no, the movie overall, I, I do love. I, I think it's a really creepy concept, and I think mm-hmm. that it inherently touches on what is so terrifying about ghosts. You know, like, but like a lot of us, the movies that deep, most deeply get to us are ghost stories, and I think that. Part of that's because we're obviously afraid of death, and a ghost is a representation of our death, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's different than fighting a werewolf or something like that. Like, yeah, you can't punch uh, a ghost. No, I mean, as in, <laughs> I mean, as in a werewolf is not us fighting like our own demise, right? Or not mm-hmm. facing that. But when you're facing a ghost, a ghost is like a straight up reminder in your face of like you're gonna die, and yeah. this is potentially what you're gonna end up as as this weird spectral goopy, you know. <laughs> like pale as fuck thing right so all of that sounds uh, amazing yeah uh sure um (laughs) but but no so so ghosts are terrifying for that reason but the grudge really encapsulates like why ghosts are so terrifying in the sense that you know a lot of ghost stories people face the ghost but there are ways to get rid of it you know there's there's people that can come in and perform exorcisms or stuff like that or you've got you know what's her face in poltergeist that just comes in and is like this house is clean, you know, or I, that's not what she says, but something like that, you know, but there's usually that solution. And mm. in the grudge, there's just not that, no. you know, like once, like you find out that you're cursed and it's kind of like, well, you're fucked. That sucks. You yep. know, I guess I'm done for now, you know, which isn't really a spoiler. It's just like, you learn pretty early on, you get cursed in this movie and yep. you're kind of fucked, right? Sucks so, to suck, buddy. Uh, so I think that that inherently is terrifying. It's like the movie, mm-hmm. it follows. You just cannot get rid of this curse that is now on you forever right yeah. so so we're gonna move into a break and come back and spoil the crap out of this movie for you so again if you haven't seen it juan the grudge is streaming on prime in the u.s definitely recommend checking it out there while you can so see you in a moment if you've been enjoying killer horror critic please make sure to head to itunes and leave a review and rating as this helps the show get noticed by others and would be a huge favor to me also make sure to check out my patreon where you can receive access to exclusive content such as bonus questions for each episode, extra episodes, and more. To find out details, visit www.patreon.com slash killerhorrorcritic. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you enjoy tonight's episode. <laughs> that's my uh, that's not my Kayako impression that's my Chris impression um, we're, so we're, we're back here talking about the 2002 film Juwan the Grudge from our director Takashi Shimizu so which I which I also didn't mention uh interestingly enough Takashi also directed the Grudge remake from 2004 um very rare for directors to do that to mm. direct the remake of their own movie uh and then he also did uh I believe the sequel to the Grudge the American one uh, as well as the film Flight 7500, which was kind of fun. You know, oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a little bit like The Grudge, but on a plane. So <laughs> <laughs> if that makes I any sense. I love that sentence so much. Sure. Um, but so so with this film, you know, we do have a lot of characters in this movie, some more interesting than others. Who do you want to talk about in The Grudge? I want to talk about Izumi, who's played by Misa Uhara. Um, and she is our daughter... She's our daughter character, I guess. 
Um, she's the daughter of the yeah, the daughter of the police chief. Yeah. Or um, the ex-police chief, whatever. Whatever he is. Whatever he is. Detective, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows uh, anything anymore? But she's really interesting for me because out of our entire cast, most of our cast when it comes to the house, just are tangentially, they touch the house. They have very little connections to it. Like, they end up living in it, they end up visiting it, but Izumi is tied heavily to the house. Mm-hmm. Um, her dad was the one who originally was the head of the investigation for ostensibly Kayako's murder. So he was there when the grudge ostensibly was born. Um, and then he gets taken by the house when he goes back in to try to, like, burn it down. Mm. And then on top of that, she also returns to the house with friends and ostensibly gets cursed that way as well. So I think it's kind of interesting that we do have a character who is so, so tied to the house and who we spend the most time with. Because we also get to see her in her school life and hanging out with her friends. She's the one who we see is most haunted by the house. Because she has that wonderful scene in her bedroom where she's just losing her fucking shit. About yeah. like people being able to like see through the windows and all that kind of stuff. And we, we see the side effects of the house with her. Exactly. Which I think is a really cool concept. And it also shows a side of the grudge that doesn't really get talked about in the fact that you know, the grudge gets passed on. It's not just about, like, you know, you go into the house, you get cursed, but also if you come in contact with somebody who's been in the house, you can also get cursed. Well, and that that's not necessarily, like, a stated rule with it, mm-hmm. but it's more so just that, you know, so, so I think this plays into the overall thematics of the movie, mm-hmm. which has a lot to do with, I think, the uh, the idea of kind of, you know, mental illness in the family and and the fear of that being passed on you know yeah and and this is something you see like pop up in a lot of filmmakers and writers work like hp lovecraft was kind of famous for you know both of his parents dying in mental institutions and he spent his entire career basically kind of writing and venting about that right Mm -hmm. And, and that's why a lot of his stories deal with mental illness so so it's something that is ingrained deeply in us now i don't know anything about takashi shimitsu's past and what he might have dealt with but but the movie on its own seems to be touching on thematics of that and this kind of concept of like yes people die in the home and if you enter the home you become cursed but when you really start to look at like who is being cursed in the film you know nine times out of ten it's people that have a relation to somebody in the house you know they 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 have a purpose to be there they know somebody there and so i think it's just kind of touching on like this you know, uh, there's a little bit of survivor's guilt, a little bit of other things playing into it where, you know, just people, they come into contact with these cursed individuals and then they find themselves being affected the same way, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, I and and you see, like, that, that sort of thing kind of happens in real life when, you know, when you do have individuals that are touched by, uh, you know, mental illness or depression or anything like that. Like, it's, it's begins to branch out and affect, you know, the people around them, unfortunately, yeah. right? And so, you know, so I think, I, to me, the film's just kind of a touch on that. And the fact that it's mostly family members kind of coming down with this, too, I mm-hmm. think that's where it speaks to, like, you know, the the fear of kind of inheriting mental illness. Yeah. You know, and, and it, anyway, you know, the reason I bring it up is Azumi is a good example of that because... You know, her father clearly, like, ostensibly dies from that, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the curse of this house and the quote-unquote mental illness theme, right? You know, he ostensibly dies from that, and then she grows grows up with that kind of knowledge of, like, there was, 
you know, your dad lost something his happened. mind or whatever and something happened and, you know, she ends up falling into the same trap. And and I think that's why it plays into the fact that she ends up coming back to the house eventually. It's just kind of toying with the idea that you never really sever ties to something like that, right? Yeah. You know, like if you have a close family member that something like that happens to, you don't just get over it. It's it's with you, right? Yeah. And I think especially the fact that she sees her dad when she's there, the fact that we do have like that's our one weird like time fucky moment where they can see across time periods is, you know, when she's a teenager about to descend into this this horror, this madness, this haunting, and she sees her dad who's ostensibly going through the same thing at that time. And Izumi's mom even says that the way that she's acting, her fear of, like, the outside world and putting the newspaper over the windows, it's the exact same thing that her dad did right before he died, disappeared, whatever happened to right. him. Right. Yeah, so no, so I'm, I'm throwing themes yeah. and stuff on you pretty early with this one, but it's like... <laughs> I'm down for it. You know me. It, I just watched the movie for surface-level shit. <laughs> but, you know, it's just... It, it, it's a, it, to me, this movie is that. Yeah. Like, that that really at the heart of The Grudge, like, The Grudge is another one of those that, you know, there's all kinds of things you can pull out of it. But at the heart of it, to me, it's really about exactly that, which is this concept of just, like, that, that fear of becoming, you know... Be- becoming the things that terrify you in life, you know, mm-hmm. that, and and that spreading to you, watching watching a parent or a friend or someone go through that, and and the fear that you will go through that as well, you know, that to me that is the curse of the movie is <laughs> is this curse of mental illness and th- and these and these kind of horrors that are sort of passed down to us through family, right? Yeah, you know, which is why I think that the the overall aesthetic of the house and the entire thing being mostly set in that house mm-hmm. works really well too, you know, cause the house is basically like this structure of all of our memories and, yeah. and those all include regrets and, and terror and all that stuff, you know? So it's the, it's the birthplace. <laughs> yeah. It's the birthplace of a lot of our like original traumas. Like we all exactly, yeah. like not in a, I mean, I don't want to sound like super negative about family, but we all have scars from family. That's just what happens when you live in a house with people. Sure. And it's, you know, it's the birth of all of our scars. For me with The Grudge, I kind of see it a little bit more as like shared trauma. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, that ties into the mental illness thing, but I see it very specifically like for me as a woman with what Kayako goes through, it's the shared trauma that like, women kind of all fear we all know each other's stories and that's a heavy burden um to kind of bear oh yeah and i got i got something with that too in a minute <laughs> beer but <laughs> but no so who i really quickly want to talk to because i want to spend too much time on this but uh, i just wanted to quickly talk about sachi the grandmother um oh, that I, poor I, woman i believe that's her name yeah no yes <laughs> but look you know something that i find interesting between this the 2004 remake and the most recent one with Lin Shay is I feel like this character in each of those three iterations is always kind of to me they're they're like the beating heart of the film in a sense right. you know, as let me I don't mean beating heart as in their the warmth or yeah. like the good feeling of the movie that's not what I mean <laughs> I, 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 there's a central importance to the character that that to me everything stems from that in a sense mm-hmm. so 
you know, first of all, it, they're all played typically by really great actresses. You know, you know the actress who plays Sachi, uh, Chicago Isamura, she's really great in this. Uh, Lynn Shea is phenomenal in of course. <laughs> in in the most recent remake. I mean, she's just absolutely terrifying. But but there but there's an importance put on the character where like you know they are the one that the story opens with each time. They're the mm-hmm. one that you know we have like the nurse arriving to take care of. Uh, the parents or, or the the son and the wife seem to maybe, you know, be in the situation they are with, with the grandma because of the grandma or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just feels like playing into this idea of mental illness. I also think there's, you know, concepts of kind of like genetic things passing through yeah. the family. And, and so when you look at the grandmother... You know, she's presented as having maybe dementia, Mm -hmm. and and that's why she's kind of off. And then, you know, inherently there's a fear in that. Like, I have family members that have suffered from Alzheimer's and ultimately died from it, you know. And so I'm worried about that at one point becoming my life, you know. And (laughs) it's a scary thing to watch someone go through. It's horrific, you know, and that that definitely affects you. Like, I will never Mm -hmm. forget the some of the last days of one of my great-grandmothers, you know, and kind of watching her go through dementia and just mm-hmm. how that affects you and it's just it's very traumatizing you yeah. know so so there is that element of trauma with this but you know i i just love this concept of it uh, of it being passed down almost right mm-hmm. you know like the grandma's passing down this terror to her kids and then they pass it on the people that they run into or meet you know and yeah anyway uh one last thing i want to say about that because i do want to move on is that i i've read theories that you know, people speculate that Sachi's actually dead by the time that you meet her, and that's why she's so catatonic, because she's already basically like a ghost. <laughs> okay, I can see um, that. Which which I just wanted to mention, because I kind of love that. I love yeah. the idea that by the time the nurse arrives, that she is already a part yeah. of this house, you know? <laughs> Look, I feel like that totally fits, because, like, this whole movie is kind of fucky-wucky. Like, not in a bad way, but... I liked what you said at the beginning of the episode. This movie really feels more like an anthology almost because of how it's broken up. You know, and honestly for me, the first time I watched this, like it was the thing that was most daunting for me because I felt like I didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. So I'm curious, like, why do you think they chose to put it like this? Well, I'm not really sure you're supposed to get it the first time, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So I, and the reason I say that is that, you know, I think that, the the Juan the Grudge is atypical to your average horror anthology, mm-hmm. which which we I think we can I think we can call it a horror anthology. Yeah. It, it really does play out like one, you know, a lot of these little spooky vignettes with people who run into the house that are all um, like loosely connected. Well, I mean, they're all pretty strongly connected for the most part, but <laughs> some are loose, yes. Uh, but but no, but I think we can call it that. But I think you know it, it plays differently because it's not in chronological order. You're not getting. Mm-hmm one story at a time, everything's interconnecting and looping around, and it's it's mm-hmm. all very intricate and confusing uh, the first time. And I think that part of the reason for why that is is I think that the film is ostensibly supposed to kind of feel like an insane person's memories. Or or even if you want to go one step further, you could possibly say that, that this is supposed to kind of feel like Kayako's memories or interpretations of what's happening. Like, basically... Basically, what I'm trying to say is, you know, so if you consider the fact that, well, if if you consider ideas of thematics, you know, revolving around dementia or mental illness and that stuff being passed down, it mm-hmm. makes sense that the thing feels very 
fractured and kind of nonsensical at times. You yeah. Know? It, it almost feels like being in the head of somebody like that who isn't really remembering things, you know, in order or logically. It plays like a dream. It plays mm-hmm. like, you know, fractured memories or, or misinterpretations even of events. Yeah. You can look at it that way or you can look at it as being Kayako's kind of perception of things. And if you think about it that way, Kayako is the spirit who died in anger and vengeance and so now every like how do you feel when you're angry right like nothing <laughs> nothing feels logical or makes sense nope. it's, it's all just like a bunch of images and just like spooky weird shit and yeah you're, you know you're picturing yourself like beating people up or or ripping heads off or whatever you whatever you imagine when you're pissed off right uh-huh. um and that's kind of what this feels like too it's like a lot of there's a lot of anger in this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> I had well, a lot of frustration. So. Well, and I think to your point, like, you know, you brought up earlier that Kayako kind of moves like a spider and this concept of spider webs. And like, look, when we watched the movie, I put them in chronological order. Like I figured out like chronologically how they would go if it went in chronological order. And it emotionally works better the way that it's set up because to your point i think it is how somebody is remembering things and you know us as people we don't remember things linearly linearly sure linear linearly um so let you say it how you gotta say it <laughs> <laughs> y'all know what i mean um but we don't uh... have... <laughs> i'm gonna here's the thing i would try to do it but now i know i'm gonna fail and you're gonna make fun of me more i'm just gonna do it better than you later <laughs> i know we'll do it for the bonus stuff we'll do a we'll do a kayak go off okay <laughs> um but like you know none of us remember things that way and so it feels very kind of humanly natural because like look we're starting with re like she's she's our jumping off point and introduction to the house and then like any human kayako is going oh shit i should tell you about the people who were in the house that i killed first let me tell you that story let me tell you my story (laughs) exactly (laughs) let me tell you this and like let me tell you how i killed these people and then oh we got we got to meet this detective dude let me tell you how i killed his daughter oh shit i should maybe tell you how i died let's finish with that that's not quite the way i would put it but yes yes, i guess i guess something like that you know it it, it's not it's not <laughs> to me the movie's not her telling them it's her telling us it's it's like the movie itself is imagine it like it's all being told from like like kayako got got her own personal journal and it was like dear diary let me yeah. tell you about my day today and then she's just getting all this shit mixed up because for her there time is not time is a construct like it's not yeah you know there's no such thing as time so it all just blends together exactly Sure, but anyway, so you know, what what are your thoughts on the curse itself with this? Like the, I know we've talked a little bit about how it kind of, you know, how it's kind of like passed down and plays sort of like mental illness. But what do you think of just like the overall theme of the curse here and how it's like kind of different from things that we're used to? Well, for me, I think it's really interesting how they use the curse because it feels more like a virus. Um, no. It doesn't feel like our traditional curse that just eats like a person one at a time. It spreads and it spreads out throughout the community. And for me, that's why I view it as like a commentary specifically to like female trauma. Um, Because, you know, for me as a woman, we hear each other's stories all the time. That shit's passed down to the grapevine. Like, and we hold the burden of, you know, the traumas that have happened to, you know, our sisters in the community. So that's really how I view this is like, 
Kayako's thing is the the reality of of the violence and the danger that women can potentially be in and that's how it spreads out like it touches all of these women and they spread it off to the other women because that's I feel like who we're focusing on more most of our characters in this are women who are being more haunted by this than anybody else oh for sure it's it's about the women yeah like you know the the men play to me a very minor role in this movie yes <laughs> Which I mean, I guess is typical of horror. You know, it's like like we, <laughs> I, I I like to you know I I like the phrase that's gone around a lot recently of like we all scream in the same language. You know, and I mm-hmm. I would apply that to to this like you know American horror and J horror. We we got a ton of differences, but one thing that's kind of always the same is it's generally women in peril. You know, yep. and that's <laughs> and we agree that kids are creepy. And we agree that kids are creepy. So, you know, so first off, just like a factual basis, you know, the the curse that that Joe on the Grudge is based on, I apparently is this legend of the Onryo, I think is how you pronounce it, which basically just is what the film describes in the beginning, which is mm-hmm. these these ghosts that are that that manifest into beings and can interact with you and 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 kill you out of rage, you know, mm-hmm. which is a which is a twist on the kind of traditional Western horror ghost theme mm-hmm. of like, you know, ghosts in Western horror are, are very often like spectral beings that don't necessarily directly interact with you. And the difference here is that Kayako very much interacts with you. <laughs> she <laughs> like, will fuck with you. She gets right up on you, you know? <laughs> Look, it's what I love about J-horror and their you know, their ghost and monster mythology is like in, in Western stuff, I feel like a lot of the times it's a very specific person. You're dealing with a ghost of a specific person. And in, in J-horror, a lot of the times it's a concept. You're fighting a concept. You're fighting a grudge. And I think that's so cool. Because, look, I don't want to fight Elizabeth down the street if I'm going to fight a ghost. I want to fight the grudge that is Kayako. Well, usually, okay, but usually in... <laughs> Usually in Western horror, if there's a haunting, there's still a haunting for a reason. They're oh, not yeah. just—they're not just ghosts to be ghosts. No, so. that's true. But it's—you know what I mean. It's they're a- there to protect the treasure or something <laughs> like that. You know, or like their bodies, or like their bodies buried in the basement. They're like, motherfucker, the neighbor next door did it. Help me out here, you know. <laughs> Which I never really, really understood that trope. If I'm being honest, you know, mm-hmm. of like the ghost that must have their body discovered. Because I'm just kind of like, eh, you're fucking dead. They anyway, want to be you know? put to rest. You're dead anyway. You are put to rest. You're, I know, but you're they, resting under the were, basement floor. <laughs> yeah, they were defiled. Their death was a defiling of who they were. They want to be like properly like mourned. Would it? They're mourned anyway. They're like no, they're dead ev- in a basement. They got murdered. Ev- everybody's like, man, my my teenage daughter disappeared. That sucks. I'm really upset. You know, she's probably buried in a basement somewhere <laughs> under a garage. Like, <laughs> a- anyway, it's anyway. a weird turn. You're a weird turn. Um. So anyway, you know. So, so the interesting thing here is like how you know. Keep in mind, like before, before Reno and the Grudge. I mean, you just didn't. You see, you see, you see ghost stories like this in American cinema now. You see things mm-hmm. that are more similar to this now, but but ghosts were are very rarely portrayed this way in Western culture. You know, like mm-hmm. they, like the beca- and I guess I say that because in Western culture. You know, a lot of times with these stories, the the haunted house story is that it's a haunted house. Yeah. You know, it's the house that's haunted. And in The Grudge, it's people that are haunted. Mm -hmm. The house is what's cursed. You step into the house and you get the curse. But then you're the one who's haunted. You're the one who the ghost is following 
all day, every day until they decide that your time's up. Which I always love how these, you know, it must be like so fun to make these movies as a writer director. And I guess I could say it is, is like having written scripts like this, but there are no rules, you know, like I I love how there's no rules with Kayako. It's like sometimes she takes you the moment you enter the house. Sometimes she's like, I'm going to fuck with you for a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's what I really like about this and what we get a lot of times in J-horror. In Western culture, you can fight the ghost. There's a way to defeat it. With a lot of J-horror and specifically the grudge, you're fucked. You cannot fight this. I mean, we keep repeating this, but yes, it's 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 what the terror comes from. Is mm. there, you know, and, and I think it's maybe why some people aren't as into the grudge either, I guess, when you think about it, is that, you know, there, there's a sense of doom from the very beginning mm-hmm. of just like, you know, sometimes you watch these movies, a, a horror film, and you're like, you have that feeling from from the early gecko of, I kind of know that no one's getting out of this okay, you know? And and The Grudge is one of those movies of, like, from the very beginning, it really doesn't take long to sort of start to think, you know, I don't think this is going to (laughs) work out for anybody. And and, and that kind of, you know, that kind of defeatist mentality entering the film, I I think definitely takes some people out of it because it's Mm -hmm. like you want to root for the characters and and part of the terror comes from thinking there's a chance that they might make it out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just kind of like, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the shitty thing about, you know, life for the characters in these movies is like, you really don't have defense nope. other, other than you just kind of got to deal with it. You can't punch a ghost. Um, you cannot punch a ghost, but, but no, but I like, I, I like this concept uh, of this spirit who dies in a vengeance and is like this rage that, will not be silenced, you know? Yep. And it's why I do love the the croaking of Kayako, which, you know, I think can be written off as just, like, some creepy sound effect that was thrown in to be creepy, mm-hmm. and that's certainly possible, you know? But to me, the, the croaking kind of comes from a place of, like, you know, especially with her being as a woman, you have to imagine, based on the dude that Kayako's married to... Mm-hmm. And and her own situation, which we find out, like we find out she was sleeping around, or at least that's what that's what he thinks. That's and and again, yes, that's what he mm-hmm. thinks. He could he could have been mentally ill, and we don't know. But what we do know is that it's very likely that Kayako has a history of abuse with her husband, right? Yep. Like it's 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 highly unlikely that he just snapped one day and killed her. Like he probably has abused her in the past, you know. And so the fact that she has this croaking voice, it almost kind of makes me feel, or or or. or reminds me of like um this idea of you know not listening to women and and women kind of like screaming for like other people to hear them in their Mm -hmm. abuse of like this is happening to me and so many other people write it off of like oh well you know he's probably just in a mood or or you know i don't think it's really as bad as you say it is like Mm -hmm. there's all that stuff that plays into it uh, the cops in this movie are useless as usual. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they seem incapable of even protecting anyone from going into this house, which keeps having dead bodies <laughs> pop up, right? You know, and, and it's it's feasible to think maybe Kayako's gone to the cops before and nobody listened. But the point is, to me, the croaking voice, it's almost like it's almost like she's half silenced, you know, mm. like her voice has been taken. And this is just like the rage kind of screaming out of her Ooh. like this. Okay, that wasn't good either. I I can do it better too. But see, it's hard to perform on the spot. <laughs> no, but for me, it's it's the last sound she makes. Oh, okay, I can't do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> see, it's harder than you think, isn't it? Still better it? than ah. Uh, oh, 
Uh, like you're going to the damn dentist or something. <laughs> I'm like, kidding. I want to do it later, but not right now. No, for me, it's it's the last sound she makes. It's her dying gasp. And I think to your point, it's it's the rage and the anger that this is how she goes out. And I think that's what makes that sound so creepy and terrifying. Uh, so kind of touching on that, like, what are your thoughts on the differences between how men and women are taken in this movie? Because there is a difference. Oh, yeah. No, the women are haunted. The women are the ones who are ostensibly, like, hunted, and they are constantly going through stuff, whereas a lot of times the dudes, for the most part, just disappear off screen. Like, mm. their their deaths are, are nothing. It's basically, for me, Kayako just going, fuck you, I hate you, I don't even want you in my sight. Be gone, asshole. <laughs> um, whereas the women, I feel like it is it is that haunting, that terror, that tragedy of knowing that what befell Kayako could befall any of us. None of us are immune from that. None of us are safe from that. You know, it's the fear we all live in. And it's Kayako reminding these women of like, my fate could be your fate. You cannot be complacent about did, this. Did you notice where every woman is taken for the most part? <laughs> most of them are taken in in their homes in beds. Yeah, so uh, that so that's the thing. So <laughs> so this is this is what I find interesting. And, and look, you know, so okay. So first of all, yes, I agree with everything you say. The women are primarily taken in their bedroom and in many cases in their bed. Mm -hmm. You know, like I mean, you've got. <laughs> You've got What's-Her-Face who gets taken by Kayako in her bed under the sheets, you know? Yeah, Hitomi. Hitomi. Um, you know, so, like, that is happening with the women, and in the men's case, it's very different. In the men's case, they're, we only have a few examples, but they're essentially, like, possessed and brought into a space by Kayako, and then mm -hmm. we don't really see what happens to them, you know? Like, you've got the security guard, and then you have the husband or the son of the, of, I can't remember names right now, <laughs> the son of Sachi. And, you know, so I guess, like, the way I kind of see this, and, and again, it's tough because things are very different in the Japanese culture than they are here in America, right? Mm -hmm. But when I look at this and I, and I try to look at maybe what's going on from a male perspective here, is that... And why maybe we see primarily a lot of uh, female ghosts in Japan is that I think that there's a, uh, I think that there's a lot of male guilt that works through Japanese horror cinema, mm -hmm. but I think that sometimes it's maybe misguided male guilt, you know? Okay. Not not misguided as in it's wrong to feel guilty, but misguided as in how it's approached. So, so let me let me put it this way, I. When I look at this, and this is not a commentary on Takashi Shimizu, especially because a lot of this stuff shows up through our subconscious when we write. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you can ask so many filmmakers, uh, you know, did you mean to do this with this scene? And they're like, no, I just wrote some <laughs> cool shit. Like, I wasn't, yeah. I, I did not think about the fact that this represents my mom dying of cancer in any sort of way. Like, I just fucking wrote a, a, a weird moment, you know, yeah. like that. So, so a lot of it is subconscious. But I guess when I look at this, what, what I'm getting at is that you have a lot of women being murdered in bed and and the the main grift of the or, or the main you know the the complaint of the husband or or his grudge against Kayako is that he claims that she slept around and you know has an illegitimate child right mm -hmm. and we we very we deal very little with him yeah and it's mostly about Kayako doing the killing and Kayako being upset. And so I think that there's this 
inherent guilt in Japan from from some of these male directors and and storytellers of you know women have not traditionally been treated the best in Japan. Yep. Uh, I mean, really, all around the world. Yeah, but... we've, we've been treated like <laughs> shit regardless of where we're at. <laughs> uh, but you know, but Japan has a pretty bad history of it with mm-hmm. sex workers and all kinds of things. You know, it it's not. Is not a lot of good stuff going on there. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I think there's an inherent guilt kind of in how women are treated. And anyway, sorry, I'm totally rambling. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I think that the way that it's portrayed, you have these women being killed in bed. And I feel like it's kind of, you know, this misguided sort of sense of Kayako killing these women in bed, almost like they've, I don't know, almost like symbolic of like, it's almost like they're being punished for the sexuality. I don't know how to explain it better. Like they Oh. Like the fact that they're being killed in bed, it's almost like they're being punished for sexuality and and in a lot of senses just being punished for being women, right? You know? Okay. And, and so so like I, I see I see them kind of being attacked that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas the men, you know, a lot of them they're just they're being possessed and it possession is, you know, uh inherently a manipulation. Mm-hmm. And so I guess it's kind of like saying you know, what happens to the men in this movie isn't really their fault. You know, they're being possessed and then we don't really see any kind of comeuppets for them being jerks or anything like that. Right. Like they're uh-huh. just pulled they're 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 taken advantage of by Kayako and, and pulled into this space unwillingly. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas the women are fucking going through hell and like, <laughs> you know, facing her in the bedroom and being like having the bejesus scared out of them as she pulls them out from under the sheets. Is anything I'm making making sense? I, like- I get I get what you're saying. I respectfully disagree about the sexuality thing. Cause okay. well again, I'm gonna view it differently because for me, the whole bed like the safest place for for any person should be your bed. That should be your safe zone. Nothing can get you there. That's why it's always creepy in ghost movies when sheets get pulled or anything like that. So again, I more take it as as Kayako going like you think that you're safe, you're not. You're not safe anywhere. So you have to. You have to be a. Po- no, I know, but what I, I guess mm. what I'm trying to say is like the, uh, you know, you have, again, this is, this is a story being told from a male perspective, mm-hmm. and and the even though the men are the ones committing the atrocities in the film, like th- this all stems from Kayako's husband straight up murdering yep. her. We hardly acknowledge him at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And and the women are being terrorized in the movie, whereas the men are just basically being like, you know, all of a sudden they, all of a sudden they get those moments like you have, like again, you have the son who, you know, starts muttering about uh, his child being illegitimate and everything, like he's basically mm-hmm. possessed by the husband for a second, right? Yes. And you basically have them kind of taking on this like male toxicity that stems from that, but but then they're just kind of like you know, they're just kind of lured off screen by Kayako <laughs> and we don't really, <laughs> I guess they're not we, we don't really deal with them. Yeah, I know. But, but I guess, I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, is there, is there a guilt being discussed here for, for how women are treated, mm-hmm. but, but is it, is it not being handled maybe as well as it could have been, you know, like, should the men be more tormented than the women in this movie? I guess is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, it is unusual that, like, since Kayako was killed by her husband, she doesn't terrorize the men more in this film. Because you would think that her anger would be lashing out at the men for what happened to her. But I think it's really telling that, like, 
we only really deal with one dude's death and that's katsuya he's the husband in it he's the one who's possessed that kayako uses to ostensibly act out her death so i think with kayako she's trapped in her rage and what happened to her she's just reliving it and she's making everybody else relive it which means that the dudes aren't really necessary because it's about her grudge and what happened to her and doing it to everybody else so that's for me why like they're not really important because the grudge doesn't have to do you know i look it's really hard concept for me to explain especially when i'm tired (laughs) and buzzed but like it's basically i guess basically what i'm getting at is like you know it's almost like there is a sense of well, is it really their fault? Yeah. Mentality towards some of the men. You know, like, like there's a sense of... And, and look, again, I am not saying that this is intentional by Shimizu. I do not think that. But yeah. but, but in the story, there, it's almost like there's a feeling of, you know, is it, <laughs> it, it, is it the husband's fault for killing her if he thought that she was sleeping around? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's almost like it's taking the side of... Of him? A little bit. I don't I... want to quite say that because Kayako is still the main focus and her anger is the main focus. So mm-hmm. so it's definitely taking a stance of like she should and has the right to be angry. Yeah. I'm just saying that there, there are some things that don't quite work out as well with that theme as they could because I would much rather see her, you know, I think it would be more effective seeing her kind of going after yeah. men that are wronging women. Now, granted, I mean, every the, the idea is that everyone who enters the house is cursed and, mm-hmm. and whatever, but... But do you think, then, that that ties into why we don't really see the husband until the end and he's not really a part of the movie? I think it could, you know, so so to give the film the benefit of the doubt, I, I do like that the uh, husband is kind of basically pushed to the side and doesn't really matter, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I, I, I do like that it becomes about Kayako's rage. yeah. And and the you know the grudge uh, that she holds, <laughs> um, because because it does make it about her and it does make it about her pain and what she's going through, you know. Mm-hmm. So so I do think that that's largely why we don't see the husband until the end, because he he has to be acknowledged, I guess. But but you know the film does a great job of not really making him a part of the story, yeah. other than he caused it. And now we don't really care about how he feels. We care mm-hmm. about how Kayako feels because Kayako was the one who was wronged, right? Yeah. Now, that <coughs> is the one thing I really like about this is that it is about Kayako and her rage. And, you know, her son being a little kitty cat boy also terrorizing people. You know, it's it's about the victims and that the dude who caused all of this, fuck that guy. We're not even going to give him screen time. He doesn't even deserve to be seen on screen because he's a basic bitch who killed his wife because, what, he thought she might be sleeping around? Like, yeah. fuck you, bud. You don't deserve well, to be in this movie. <laughs> so, so you know, I, maybe a better way to put what I was trying to describe before because I feel like I'm not making any sense mm-hmm. is, like, <laughs> speaking on that, there are so many J-horror films that revolve around women. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting how in J-horror you know, the uh, women get to be the villain. Yeah. You know, women get to be the villain. They get to be the icons. When we think J-horror, we don't really think of any male horror icons. We think of Sadako. We think of Kayako. Audition. Audition. We think of Tomie. You know, like, Mm -hmm. they're, like, it's primarily female villains that get to become these icons. And 
in American cinema, it's not that. It's typically male villains, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I guess what I was getting at before is, like, I think in Japan there's I, – I do think that for whatever reason, and again, I, I can only loosely say this because I'm not a part of the culture. I don't know a lot about the culture. I don't live there, you know? Mm-hmm. But there does seem to be a sense in watching the films that there is a – guilt but also a fear of women a fear of their rage uh you know a, a feeling of women being wronged mm-hmm. there, there's like an acknowledgement of it you yeah. know um that does like whether like uh, however the male community in japan feels about it mm-hmm. there, there's an acknowledgement through these movies of women being wronged yes you know straight mm-hmm. up like that is what's going on and, and it's why i think that you see western culture films are so different is that there's not really an acknowledgement in Western culture of women being wronged. No, know? It, at least at least there hadn't been around the time this movie was made. Yeah, <laughs> it's the reason I really like a lot of J horror things, even though I might not always jive with the storytelling, is the fact that it acknowledged that women have the capacity for rage and violence and grudges that we won't let go. Which I think yeah. any women can agree we absolutely have, and so being able to see that vented on screen, and especially with something like the grudge where this gets to be vented this rage gets to be vented and you can't fucking stop it like there's no way to stop her there's no way to end it like it just goes on and on and that's awesome we gotta start wrapping up although i do just want to add one last little note on this particular topic which is that something that i do find really fun about the fact too that the husband doesn't show up until the end Mm -hmm. is that you know the same thing happened in Friday the 13th, with Jason Voorhees not showing up until the last seconds. Yeah. And in American cinema, that led to Jason Voorhees being the face of the franchise. Yeah. If if Friday the 13th had been made in Japan, I guarantee you Pamela would have been the continuing face of that franchise. And it's, it's what's so striking to me uh, if you kind of look at both of these films in that same context, because they both do the exact same thing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a vengeance that is spawned uh, as the result of something that either happened to or was done by a man or a boy in this case, you know, mm-hmm. and then a woman taking the, the vengeance upon people for that mm-hmm. man shows up in the end. In America, it's the man who's then championed after that. You just made me really sad. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I I love Jason, but Pamela really should have been the star of Friday the 13th, and it's a shame. It's a damn shame she's not. It is a damn shame. And again, it just speaks to, like, the differences in the culture, you know? Uh, America is very, America's very, like, white male-driven, you know? And it's just, like, anything that's not that is just, tends to get pushed aside. That's not what this is about. Good move on. So, <laughs> uh, so we got to start wrapping up. So who's your killer idiot of Juwan the Grudge? So for me, that's Katsuya, who's the, the husband who gets possessed. Because motherfucker, so many people have died or gone missing in that house. And you didn't even look at that shit? You didn't even go, maybe I shouldn't buy the house that a whole bunch of people have fucking died in? You dumb bitch. Yeah, so I also put <laughs> Katsuya because um, for the exact same reasons. You know, like, how like how do you how do you not know that this is, like, the most haunted house in the fucking city, you, you know? Like, you moved it, into Murder House. I mean, like, I get it. It's a city. You don't always know about these things if you're not a part of the city. But it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I would have to think, like, for the most haunted house in the city, for, the, like, for, like, a f- house that just has this 
energy and this yeah. like legend around it you don't know that <laughs> well it's also something like i know in america you have to disclose information like that like i think it's like a five-year thing where you have to disclose information about what's happened it's just like so did your realtor in- <laughs> tell you that this happened you're just like meh in-, in japan you should always be able to ask the realtors is there a grudge on this house <laughs> Has, there, has, a, has a curse been born here? <laughs> is there a curse here, or is there a haunted well nearby? Right, exactly. Have any have any strange videotapes passed <laughs> through this house? But anyway, yes, no. So he he's might as well. Uh, what about your killer death of the grudge? So this might be a weird one, but for me, it's the two cops that get killed. It's a very that is a weird. Yeah, that's a here, random one. Here's <laughs> the thing: it's a mundane death. I get it because it's not even a death. It's basically like Kayako shows up. We see the officers, and then we like hit to black. We don't even know what happens to them. But I feel like that scene is the best scene outside of the very, very, very end with Kayako's sound and how haunting and creepy and how it gets underneath your skin. And so that's why I really like that death scene. Uh, <laughs> open wider. Uh. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's <laughs> uh, that's a weird one. Uh, my, my pick is uh, Hitomi in the bed, just because <laughs> I think it's by far the scariest. Most iconic. Uh, and the most iconic death in the film, you know, and, and it, it, it you know, I was doing research on this, and apparently that comes from this urban legend in Japan, uh, The Girl in the Gaps, which is this legend that kind of discusses uh, ghosts as having doorways to our world through, like, tiny spaces, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think of it, the concept of, like, the tiny space being the space between you and your bedsheet is what she's showing up through. Mm-hmm. That really creeps me out, you know? This is why Japanese ghost stories are fucking amazing. They're the best, and I can't yep. wait to talk about Tomiya next week since it's a Junji Ito story, and Junji Ito stories are always horrific. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, what about your killer MVP of Juwan the Grudge? Uh, so for me, that's uh, Takako Fuji for her portrayal of Kayako because she's iconic. She's amazing. Like the way she moves her body, the noises, how she stares at you. All of it is so well done and haunting. And that's why she deserves to be the icon that she is. Yep. We're, we're in agreement all around here. Uh, I thought Kai- I thought she gives a great performance as well. Uh, just has a great look for the ghost. Again, mm-hmm. I, I love the... You know, the kind of just giant unblinking eyes that just stare like deep down into your fucking soul, right? you know? And, and I, her appearance in the end, just covered in blood and doing the crab walk or whatever down the mm-hmm. stair or the spider walk down the stairs. Like, great actress, super creepy in the performance. She makes this movie. She is the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just really great all around. Um, but all right, so that's going to do it for us on Juwan the Grudge. Hopefully you all enjoyed that. Uh, we're going to be moving into our Patreon content now where we're going to talk about what we see as the significance behind the peekaboo eyes, which surprisingly comes in the pretty big play in the end, you know, yep. with this concept of like the peekaboo eyes, you know, window in the scene, Kayako and yep. all that. It's important uh, throughout the movie. Yep. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about... Uh, talk a little bit more about how this haunted house story is different from your average Western haunted house ghost stories. Uh, so if you'd like to hear that, just go to patreon.com slash killer horror critic for just a dollar a month. You get access to all of our additional bonus content. Every single penny we make goes right back to the writers that write for us. We really care about them. We want them to be paid as much as they should be. So just every dollar you can spare helps us. And, and, you know, you got cool content too on top of it. Like yeah. we got, 
we got bonus episodes bonus content for each episode voting for our themes for each month weekly lists on what you should be checking out for new horror releases every week uh so again if you'd like to get any of that just go to killer heart or just go to patreon.com slash killer horror critic every single penny helps us every single dollar helps us but we just appreciate you listening as well so thank you i also want to give a shout out to our killer members ben scouten michael campbell Martin Nachetta, Seth Vermonten, Kelsey Lynn, and John Reed Adams. Thank you so much for all of your support as well. We really can't do this without any of you, so just thank you. Uh, how many more times can I say thank you in, <laughs> in two minutes? Um, <laughs> but that's going to do it for us on The Grudge. Next week is Tomie, uh, which I cannot wait to talk about. Woo! This film does not get talked about enough. I love Tomie, based on the Junji Ito story. Highly recommend you read it and check it out. Uh, yeah, if you're that, not reading Junji Ito, you really should be. You're missing out. Yep. Junji Ito is one of the best storytellers out of Japan. I love his work. Uh, but anyway, that's to do it for us. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.